Before we begin this week's broadcast, please be aware this podcast contains sensitive subject matter regarding mental health and suicide. If you think this may cause some distress, please consider not listening any further. If you or anyone you know is going through tough times, see the episode's show notes for links to organisations that offer professional help. Hey everyone and a huge welcome to the Dedicate Podcast, the wellbeing podcast to help you to get the most out of your life. We discuss health, fitness, relationships, self-love and body image, mental health, motherhood and more. I'm Kate Ivey, your host, and today I'm talking to Australian Olympic skier and one of our new Australian Dedicate trainers, Maddie Himbury. Maddie shares her personal details on her challenges with mental health. She discusses the lack of support from the governing body of her sport when she came to them citing she needed help. Maddie shares her inspiring story and also gives advice to those with a big goal and to those struggling with internal or external pressures. This episode will give you a shocking insight into the challenges that elite athletes face. Hi Maddie, welcome to our podcast. Hi Kay, thanks for having me on board. Great to have you here. It's headline news at the moment, elite sport and mental health. Um, for example, there's Simone Biles, a gymnast who pulled out of the team event finals at the Tokyo Olympics. There's Naomi Osaka, who pulled out of the French Open, and they all cited mental health as their reasons. And then tragically, here in New Zealand, Olympic cyclist Olivia Podmore died by suicide at the age of 24. I'd really like to touch on that topic with you a bit later on. But first of all, I would love to learn more about you and share more about you with our listeners. So, yeah, what is it that you do? Like, it sounds, you've told me about it and it's, it's mental. It's crazy. (laughs) Uh, So I'm a freestyle mogul ski athlete. Um, I represent um, Australia um, and I have been doing for 12 years now. Um, So mogul skiing is um, a downhill race and we've got three components so judge sport the first part is the mogul so like the bumps how clean you do it so the idea is that we make it look as easy as possible means that we've done a good run and then we've got the jumps so we flip and we do aerial skills um, which is also judged on how hard your trick is as well as how well you performed it and then the third component is speed so you've got to throw in all these different things. So you want to ski fast, you want to ski well, you want to do big tricks, but you've got to land them well and you've got to sell it to the judges on that day, on that course, over and over again, weekend after weekend. How the hell did you get into the sport? <laughs> well, we I started out as a gymnast um, background. Um, so I did that for about uh, 15 years or so. And then we have a school ski competition in Australia. Um, which is huge and they do every event um, through skiing, cross country and snowboarding Um, and I used to do them um, in our school holidays and then make it through to state and nationals. Um, I was lucky enough my parents drove me back and forth in the holidays and on the weekends from Sydney down to the snow mountains Um, and we also got to go overseas from a very young age. So sport was very much in our family but I was drawn to moguls through this competition and I begged my parents to join the local club in Perisher. And when I was 14, I made the switch from gymnastics to mogul skiing. And so did you start skiing at a really young age as well? 
Yeah, I was three when I started skiing. I was in the little Milo Mini Mites at Turbo, hated gloves, hated goggles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so the last, did you say 12 years, you've been representing, you've been an elite athlete, mogul skier? I mean, mogul skiing for the last 12 years and i've been on um world cup um representing australia since 2015 i think was my first world cup wow and so a lot of training must go in yeah it's crazy because we're a summer country and i do a winter sport so (laughs) we are on the road constantly um, so that means being away from family and friends, um, particularly when I was younger, it was a big sacrifice because when I was in high school, we drove down to the snow every weekend, which is a privilege and I loved it. But I also missed out on going to parties, hanging out with my friends, all yeah. the gossip, all the boys, you know, all that sort of stuff. But I think it also, I was a naughty teenager, surprise, <laughs> surprise. Um, and it kept me out of trouble because I parent, I, promised my parents like when I got sent overseas I think I was 16 my first year by myself and I promised my mom like I'm dedicated to this I'm not going to waste your money I'm going to go out there and put 100% into you know this camp and this opportunity I've been given um and like that was like a big deal I know like I get a lot of privileges but my parents made sure that if I was doing something and they were going to support me in this that I was 100% in and I wasn't going to muck around and, you know, I have fun for sure. Like it's a great life I live, but I was very disciplined. And I think I learned that from gymnastics where you just keep doing a skill until you get it. And once you get it, you keep doing it until it's perfect, right? Wow. (laughs) Um, And so being selected in the first place to represent Australia, what goes into that? So, I mean, obviously there's a lot of people who are good at what they do, but they don't get that far what's the sort of steps before actually getting selected in terms of like the national team is that what we're talking about or olympics national team um so national team they 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 want to get you when you're young to they want development athletes because they want to watch you grow and help you and support you to get to the olympic games really so i was selected when i was pretty young and fresh because i'd switched so late i was Uh, like an anomaly in the system in terms of coming from a different sport from gymnastics to skiing Uh, so I showed potential I worked hard I was in the gym a bunch um, but I also just had some results at our like national competition in Australia and that's what got me selected to go and train overseas with the development team and then from there they kind of saw how you were in the team environment how you trained to be able to get competition experience representing Australia. So it took a few years for sure. And I had a lot of injuries when I was younger as well um, and new in the sport. So I did have to keep working and I got dropped from the team, got back on the team, get dropped from the team, get back on the team. So it's really tough. But if you set out your goals and you see what the process is to achieve that, it doesn't have to be in the team because now I'm not in the team. And I can still achieve the things that I want to. Yes, it's more difficult and it's not ideal. But if you are still motivated and you know, you, you know you've know got to hit that competition, you want to get a top 10 there to be able to go to World Cup. And so how do I need to be able to ski to get there? How do I need to look in the gym? How, how much weight do I have to lift? So you set, you work your way from the top all the way back and see what you can do every day to achieve that goal. So basically, are you saying you're not in the Olympic team, but you're still training for the Olympics? 
So we don't get selected for the Olympics until two weeks out of the games. So oh. it's like everyone's fighting until the very end. But I'm actually not on the national team either. So I'm not supported by the national governing body in terms of funding, coaching or any sort of extracurricular sport, um, which is really crappy um, because I'm, you know, top five in Australia and the girls and I can't get this support. And it comes back to what you were talking about before is after the 2018 Winter Olympics, I took time for mental health and I, I'm very well educated. I knew what I needed from them and I knew how I needed to get back into that environment. And I also knew what they weren't providing me and what support they weren't giving me and why I ended up with poor mental health in that environment. And I was asking for a lot. I was asking for them to change things and I was asking for more. And I think I was also really difficult. Like, you know, lots of people are talking about mental health now, but they're still not solving this problem. And they're not, they're not making changes. There's headlines, but there's no change in mental health and mental health in sport. And uh, this was four years ago. And so they kind of just threw me to the curb. <laughs> and I've, it, it sucks. And that's why I'm so, I, if you look at my Instagram, I try and promote it as much as I can. I try and talk about it as much as I can because athletes were told to be like this rock strong hard person and you know we're, we're humans too and we have breakdowns too and we need to be supported as a human too yeah so are you saying that you went to them and said you were having some challenges you needed a break and they basically said we're not going to support you on this yeah they um they said that they would uphold their scholarship for the following year as long as i improved my mental health so i went away i improved my mental health i worked with a psychologist that they did not pay for because they said that they would not fund me for that um so I did this all out of my own pocket because I wanted to come back to sport and I had to go find myself outside of sport and so I held up my end of the bargain and they did not they told me that they were not going to give me my scholarship and not give me the support the following year oh that is so rough I mean and we can see in New Zealand <laughs> examples of what happens if people aren't supported with their mental health and I think Oh, well, this is, I had, I had no idea, Maddie, that's, this is massive. Yeah. I mean, I try not to name and shame people and try and just to focus on myself. But at the end of the day, if people are going to continue to treat athletes like humans this way, then people need to talk and say things because it's not okay. And that's how we end up in these ruts and further consequences that we see like suicide. And that is just not good enough. It's so scary. So talk me through what was happening for you. So you went to the last Winter Olympics and how did that go? Yeah, I went to 2018 Pyeongchang um, and now I look back at it and I'm super proud. I'm super happy of what I did. But when I went into it, I was probably in the worst headspace I could possibly be in. So I'm now 58 kilos. I'm still pretty little, but in the games, I think I was 48 kilos. Um, because my body was taking the pressure that my mind couldn't take um, and I was suppressing it because I just wanted to make this goal, wanted to make it happen um, because, you know, for elite athletes or any athletes from a young age, if you win an event, like even in high school, you get all this praise, this love, this like affection. So you know that if you perform and you get a result, you will get, you will feel love from other people. And when we're at a high level where people are putting money and time into you, they expect this. And if you don't perform, 
you are no good, not worthy and, you know, undervalued. And instead, and so that was, so into the, the year leading into the game. So we have a two year qualification and the previous year I competed really well. And that's where I got my Olympic qualifying event. And then the following year, I just started to develop anxiety and panic attacks because I was putting so much pressure on myself to perform that when you, if you look at me skiing in training, I was okay. Like I was still pretty good. And when I competed, I was stiff. I was nervous. Everything was controlled because I was trying so hard to be perfect and to perform and get this result that it was having the reverse effect. Um, because I put so much worth and value in me as a skier rather than me as a person. So that was the downfall in that 2018. But I did qualify. I made it. I went to the Games. And some of that stress was released once I made the Games. And I actually performed the best I probably could have for that year at the Games. I remember at the time kind of not being so like proud of my performance because I just felt like I didn't deserve to be there because other girls had performed better that year and I wasn't in my peak physical or mental condition because I was struggling so hard and the coaches weren't supporting me. They stopped coaching me. They stopped providing me with any sport. Um, Like I told the psychologist we had with us that I didn't even want to compete in the last event and he didn't reply to my message because I was like very low down the food chain in terms of possibility to get Olympic podiums and they focus on who was going to get an Olympic podium. And in their eyes, I wasn't. So in their eyes, I was not supported to get over the line, you know. But at the same time, like the year into it, I was about to go overseas. They were considering putting me on antidepressants or some sort of medication. But they didn't want to because they thought because you can have the fluctuation in um, weight. And they didn't want to do that because that may affect my performance. And which I think is a perfect way to paint the system is that we are there to get results and they will do anything to make that happen. So basically you're robots and you're just going to perform. And if you're not, we're just going to cast you aside. Yeah. Like it doesn't really matter. Like if I was so unwell that I needed to be on these drugs, which I, I'm, I mean, I may not have gone down that path, but it was never put on the table for me because they didn't want to take away from the Olympic performance. This seems so crazy because mental health is such a big thing now. And even um, as a mother and a business owner, I'm really wary of the fact that your performance is driven by more than your performance. So there's so many things Mm -hmm. going on in your life and you need to fill all the different assets to actually be at your best so how can they not see that supporting you as a person and supporting you in your mental health is going to get you those results I'm not sure it seems quite common sense right but it's very difficult for them to see I'm hoping and I'm sure you are too that more and more people are going to come forward and some more light is going to be brought upon this issue yeah I mean, that's where it starts, right? It has to be a conversation. And once we have a conversation, then we can make change. But until people are willing to accept this, like Naomi got crap because she hadn't once previously announced that she had mental health problems or something. It's like you don't go into a match saying, oh, my knee's a bit sore, it might have an injury. And then people are like, oh, it's okay, she hurt her knee, she announced it before. Like mental health, you've got to suddenly put it on the books 
and like people don't believe you like it's just yeah it's a hard topic because (laughs) you can't you can't see it and for so many years people have dubbed mental health as an excuse yeah and is that how it feels do did you feel like people were thinking it it was an excuse when you were citing it as yeah reasons for taking a break they were actually really supportive of me taking the break. It was more coming back. Um, when I came back, I asked for a progressive return and integration back into competition living and the level of training that I was doing, um, just like you would with a physical injury. And they they didn't want to do that. And that's where we hit heads where there was no acceptance that this was like a like an actual injury that should be treated as the same way that a physical one. And that's where I got told you need to push through, you need to get over it. If they say you need to do that, you need to do it. Um, it was that harden up and get over it mentality. And that is where it's just the wrong dialogue. You can't talk about mental health that way. That's not how it works. It's not like you're sitting on a bike pushing yourself. And that's the way we've been drilled in for so long, which I didn't even know I was having panic attacks because I had like I've heard of panic attacks before but I just didn't know that's how it would manifest and like when I came back to the gym and I was working out again because it's the same physiological response where your heart rate goes up and stuff and same thing as having a panic attack that I had the same response in the gym and nobody educated me or helped me through that and so I was struggling with training as well and Uh, just like it's just this lack of understanding or awareness or education where people say and do the wrong thing (laughs) and your mental health I mean it must have to be you know you have to be in the right physical and mental condition to you are flipping like miles in the air how can you do that if you're not you know in control of everything yeah biggest thing for us is confidence right? You, you got to go out there and you got to be confident on, on your body, on yourself and how you're going to perform. And you can see that you see the way people stand and hold themselves. It's like when they tell you to make a public speak, you stand and open your chest and then it will, your body language and it will help you project. And the same thing in sport. And if you don't have that confidence, you're more at risk of injury and you're not going to perform. So that was a big thing for me post taking that time was finding myself one who was Maddie who am I outside of the athlete um what did I love to do did I love this sport because I didn't at the time I can tell you that and then finding confidence and that's like and you get that confidence by doing things that you value yourself so by doing things that made me happy by sticking to my values and what made me feel good is where I found the confidence. And then once I found the confidence in myself, the skiing came naturally, you know, I've got it. I've changed for years, but um, yeah, you got to be in that space. And that's so inspiring that you've gone and done that all on your own. Um, So how long did it take you? What did you do? What were the steps that you took from when you pulled out, took the time and then you got back into it? Um, so it took about 12 months off. Um, I did go and ski um, with a regional team in the US. Um, and just because I wanted to ski around people that love the sport, love doing it. So more at like a junior level. And then I always had a goal to do this harder trick, a back full in competition. So I went to a lower level competition. Um, so not World Cup, um, just to perform that because I didn't know whether I felt like this piece was missing from my skiing career because I didn't perform at the 
best level I could or because I felt like I still had more in the tank and I wanted to tick that one thing. Um, also get back in the start gate, see how I felt. And then um, I went to a bunch of psychologists. I went, I kept my sports psych because I didn't want to start again, but I ended up moving to a clinical psych. I worked with some really cool coaches overseas, ones they used to train with. When you say you're doing it all on your own, it's definitely not on your own. Um, Mom and dad support me like no other. All my friends, like, you know, they knew I was doing it tough. I knew I was going through a hard time, but I also struggled to relay my emotions so I can get angry. Um, I can get upset and cranky. Um, So those guys had to deal with that. And then um, just rebuilding my team around me. I had to get my own nutritionist, own sports psych own clinical psych own coach own physio and I have another one performance psych yes Um, so I had to build trust and this new support structure around me that I trust them they trust me and then we can build this confidence and grow together to be able to get back in the start gate Um, but then I unfortunately I returned to competition the following year I decided I wanted to come back they said you can't so I went to um the local program who also happens to be my brother. So my older brother coaches me now. And I went in a competition and I tore my ACL. So I tore my third ACL when I decided to return to sport. So then I had another clonk in the road, of course. Um, And then it just kept on giving with COVID. So it's been a rough trot this last four years. I wouldn't say it was easy at all. (laughs) So you are in central Australia. No, where are you at the moment? I'm in the Snowy Mountains. You're in the Snowy um, Mountains, but you're going to have to leave to do your training because of COVID. Yeah, so um, obviously it happened the year before. So um, I had to come home. I'd already decided to do more rehab on my knee because I decided not to get surgery with my ACL. I tried to return. I hurt my knee again. So I came home, did a big stint of recovery, which was when our lockdown was last year. Um, but I had that anxiety again then because you didn't know when we were going to return to snow. I didn't know whether we'd have the season or whether we could get overseas. And because I wasn't on the team, I didn't know whether I'd get any of these exemptions that everyone else gets where they can train and compete and get overseas when I don't get the same benefits as them. So everything I do is just playing catch up. And um, so that was really tough through lockdown as everyone has their struggles. But we did get to ski. I did get to go overseas last year. But my return was not very, it was bumpy with my knee. We were chasing around different World Cups, different competitions, borders closing, deciding whether or not to like go to the physio because I'd hurt my knee. But if I went to the physio, I was at risk of picking up COVID in a foreign country and we didn't have a car. I wasn't allowed to use the team physio. So I caught the bus two hours down to the physio and two hours back up again so it was a four hour possible COVID trip to get physio so stuff like that was really difficult last year but I know if I didn't go overseas I would not be in the sport so it was a really tough year to go overseas and I did get to compete at the end yay. but yeah we're on the same boat again now so we've had an awesome course up here in the Snowy Mountains but we've gone into lockdown like everyone else and so we're going to fly overseas on Monday. I was just looking at booking flights for us on this podcast. So in four days time, because everything, you know, in COVID happens in two seconds and you just got to go. Um, and there's guaranteed training overseas. I've got a lot of support network over there. So me and my brother are probably going to be on the road for the next five months and hopefully, fingers crossed, into the games again. You do all this training and then you find out two weeks before the Olympics start whether <laughs> you qualify or not. 
you'll be competing for Australia at the Olympic Games, but not under the national body. Yeah, sorry. Like, I'll just I'll be selected on the Australian Olympic team, which is separate to like the um, Australian Winter Olympic team. Um, so they're kind of above, I guess. So I skip that step. Yeah. But at the Olympics, you're you're under AOC, um, and they do everything for you. They are awesome. They're two weeks. This is their time to shine. Like they do your yeah. washing for you. They cook you whatever you want the night before competition. If every if us eight athletes we've got for moguls, if everyone wants a different meal, they will cook eight different meals. I was like, oh, wow. should we just do that <laughs> just to annoy them? But everyone always wants spag bowls. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's definitely worth training for. <laughs> yeah no it's it's very exciting when you're there very stressful like there's just so much going on I described the 2018 games as a deer in headlights like I was just there taking it in but also not because there was just so much going on it's so hard not to pay attention to these cameras in your face people asking you like you know this media like they're trying to do the right thing I think but like how do you feel to represent your country is a really loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what? I'm actually shitting myself. <laughs> um, but like, they're all there to support you, and you just got to try and pay attention on your run, your your job, and on go back into the simple little things like the ski technical things and what you can change and focus in that run rather than the external and try and block all that noise out and focus back in on you which is what we're trying to practice all the time in the gym on the hill trying to distract you as much as you can so that you just have to learn how to bring it back in and refocus which you know I had to do a lot of with my panic attacks is because you're just getting overwhelmed all the time and so I worked really hard on breathing techniques and grounding techniques in particular. I found it really hard to sit still. Um, I'm an athlete, yeah. you know, we're, we're, you, we're all pretty like jumpy and crazy. Um, so I found yoga really helpful, particularly at the beginning, because you use movement and walking or uh, eating meditation so that you're doing another skill while calming your brain. Um, but now I'm very <laughs> much more confident at the breathing exercises and they're a savior. And so all that hard work I put into my mental health is also really into like my, my sports psych as well. And so hopefully now that I've done one games, I've experienced what it's like at that intensity. Um, I'll be able to learn from that and learn from, you know, this crappy experience I've been through. Like it's, there's nothing nice to say about it, but I learned a lot. Um, I've grown a lot as a person and I wouldn't want anyone else to go through it, but you know, that's what life is. And if we take everything as a possible, you know, challenge is a place to learn and anything that comes in our way is just another opportunity to grow and potential to see anything that we can grow from. So if it's home, you're sitting there and you're watching video clips, you're doing visualization, whatever it might be um, through lockdown, you know, we've all had plenty of time there, but, you know, we will get a lot of time on snow. So fingers crossed, it will all start to come together. Great to hear how much work you have put in and how much you've learnt. Um, what do you think needs to happen to support elite athletes more with their mental health? Um, I think it needs to be a shift on the way we think about elite athletes. Firstly, um, that we are humans outside of this, um, that we're not like a business transaction. We're not a number on, on a card. And once we see that shift and we see the importance of this well-being 
framework and not just by changing a name of someone's title. I've seen that happen a lot where they just put well-being at the top and I go, what can you support me with in this area? Yeah. And they're like, um, I can help you get a job interview. I'm like, well, that's <laughs> that's not really going to help me right now. Like I'm, I'm competing full time. So stuff like that where they just are putting like a shade over the top of it. Like we need actual intervention and actual change. And that becomes from education as well as um, uh, support provided. And so I think they need to remember that, you know, lots of these organisations, particularly for me at this time, like, they're here and their sole focus is to support athletes to be the best they can. Yet when I email and I ask for things and I ask for support, I get no. So what is their role? Is their role to pull people down, to tell them they're not good enough? Because that seems to be the biggest flaw of particularly that we're seeing in these stories come out is where they're told no, they're told they're not good enough, whether it's from the media, it's from the support, where they don't get to go to an event. like. Why Why did you think that was a good decision? <laughs> Who are making um, these decisions? <laughs> so are we going to have to see more lives lost for there actually to be change? Or what, you know, how are we going to, how is change going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> Look, I don't know. I hope it's not lives lost. Um, I hope, I mean, that's a loud and clear message for sure. But we need to see athletes being on the forefront before that point and speaking out about what they need is a holistic approach to their them as a life as a sport and to be the best athlete they can and that incorporating mental health from the outset it shouldn't be once you've gotten to this point of having these illnesses and it shouldn't be to the point of suicide um, but it is way too prevalent in young people and in sport people, we're seeing it pop up everywhere. Um, and in from these countries where we have all these great opportunities and support and money around us, it's so prevalent and it just does not make any sense. Um, so, yeah, changing this mindset, this framework of how we work, but also of how athletes work, you know, um, how, how do all these young people anywhere um, with such privilege and such um, opportunities around us, how are we in such poor headspaces? I'm a driven, ambitious person myself. I've played a lot of sport. I know the pressure I put on myself, mm -hmm. so I can understand some of the extent of the of the pressure that athletes put on themselves as well. Um, you know, a lot of it comes from within. Fact that there's so much competition. So if you remain stoic and someone else doesn't, then you're ahead of them it really needs to be recognized by the sporting bodies, doesn't it? So that it sort of gives everyone permission to, I don't know, drop the guard a bit and, you know, ensure yeah. that they are looking after their mental health. Yeah, well, I think that's, you know, allowing having that space to allow athletes to be there, um, to be able to share and show that emotion. Um, and that comes from like a young age, like allowing people to feel that way. But also, you know, having that shift and telling people, you know, you're still important, you're still valued outside of your results. And how do you enforce that in a community? Um, how do you give value to these people without results? Um, but I think it's really interesting watching the Paralympics now. And um, if you saw any of the interviews last night, the Australian guys, they're so raw and so full of emotion. And those people will have such crazy, such interesting stories. And 
watching all their interviews it's just like then they're, they're untainted like they haven't, they haven't had media training like the olympians and they are just there saying you know i've put in all this hard work or that was really hard i've had a really tough day but i've i've made it through and like just the way they spoke was so different to the olympians and i thought that was a really interesting space because they've obviously gone through this hard times but i've been allowed to feel that way because they've had these difficulties I'm not sure how that differs but it was just really interesting to watch last night so were people out there who are are perhaps putting a lot of pressure on themselves in anything that they're doing it could be parenting and business Um, it could be elite sports people out there what would your advice to them be yeah um I think you've got to have um some self-compassion I mean, we're all so hard on ourselves. We set really high expectations, particularly in lockdown. We are really harsh on ourselves if we don't achieve or not as productive or we put on weight or whatever it might be in lockdown. And you've got to have some compassion for yourself in those situations that we are, you do go through tough things and do go through hard moments. And if that's lockdown, if it's something else, but it's okay to let yourself feel that way or not be as productive because you gotta you gotta look after yourself and whatever that might look like in your space is important and then also having like a little bit of like gratitude and thankfulness for what you do have around you so that you can lift that morale you can lift your motivation so you gotta focus on those small little things you know particularly in lockdown like you might have these tiny little wins, but if you don't appreciate them, then you'll get lost in all the bad and all the negativity. So combining those two things that, you know, you got to be, you got to give yourself a little bit of space and a little bit of love, but you also got to be, you know, promoting this positivity in yourself and in that daily life. So what about advice for people out there who are feeling outside pressures? external pressures are really difficult um the only person that can uh, fix that is really you like you got to shift your um focus from the external to the internal um and by doing that you got to be true to yourself so I mean for me I lost a lot of myself to the sport and then I got lost in what where I was going what I was doing so I think it's really important to know who you are what you're passionate about and go after that like you're not chasing something that someone else has set out and then it makes it easier to focus on yourself and what your goals are um, rather than this external pressure um, because you can't really tell someone no I'm not going to do that Um, it's it's like a lot of it is you've got to be accountable whether it's your job you're like you got to achieve some sort of progression and so you got to set these small little steps to make sure that you are achieving these bigger goals. But it's very overwhelming to look at the big overall picture without taking back into the tiny little steps. So focusing back in on you and yourself as an individual and then breaking down all the the big things into small little things so you can have bite-sized chunks and it becomes less overwhelming and tick things off if you like doing lists um, I do that's for and sure then you, <laughs> yeah and then you feel good about yourself because you've ticked something off and then you can keep motoring on forward in the right direction I find lists sorry I'm a bit passionate about lists <laughs> lists, lists are really amazing I find for achieving things scary so if for example even just if i have to make a phone call or send an email to 
someone that's totally like it's almost out of my league like I'm sending it to someone major or I'm starting an opportunity that's massive even the launch into Australia um if I looked at that as a massive you know launching into Australia it's like where do you start ah. so instead of thinking of the big picture just writing down a couple of things that I need to do and then just following my list okay what do I need to do okay I need to make that phone call okay and then just do it okay what do I need to do I need to send that email and just do it and then before you know it all those little things add up yeah not overthinking it either like most of the time lots of people don't know what they're doing um yeah yeah it's learning that you're not alone on those things yeah yeah get out there and have a stab what's the worst that can happen right (laughs) totally so what advice do you have for people who are chasing a big goal I mean you're chasing a massive goal at the moment Mm. what's some advice you can give um I mean for me it is like a lot of hard work and dedication um everyone says it it's really important to dedicate yourself but I think it's important to know when you set out that goal how much time do you have to dedicate to that goal because then external to that you really want to balance your time so that you can focus so for me like I'm on the hill for maybe three hours a day which people like nothing but I am a hundred percent when I'm on there right where go 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 so around that time I need to be relaxing rejuvenating um recovering and that's really important to me to be able to then get out the next day and do your thing so that's where we come into this balance so you got to have this to and fro with yourself be able to dedicate yourself this time and energy and you know this hard work everyone says you just got to work hard but you also need to have balance and look after yourself and find what you love outside of sport. Like I love traveling and seeing different things because we get to go to these beautiful spots around the world. I always want to see waterfalls, go on walks, hike along this bridge, whatever it might be. Um, I love going out for dinner um, occasionally, but you know, lots of these things we couldn't do last year, but you want to be able to pick that time where you're putting 100% in and the way you can do that is allowing yourself the space to give that energy to your goal. So, you know, if you think you need to put 100% of your time to this one massive goal, good luck to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is extremely difficult. Um, but I've figured out in this time that I need more me time. I need more, um, you know, relaxing outdoors. I just love the beach. I love the ocean. I mean, I love that I'm my work is outdoors and in nature and that just makes me feel excellent every day but I still need that that clock off as well um where I can go to the beach I can go for a hike um enjoy good food see you know what's locally happening and around um so it's just that balance and you know that requires planning and setting out these goals but also setting out the right amount of time to achieve those goals Love it. And I mean, everyone, you know, whether they've got big goals or not, can really learn from that and that we all need to apply that balance to be at our best. Yeah, particularly with sleep. (laughs) Yes. Oh, that's a big one. (laughs) For all those mums out there listening. (laughs) So um, you're also a dedicated trainer, which is awesome. We love having you on board. Everyone's loving your workouts, which is super cool. And I'm sure I remember you saying that one of your reasons for for doing that is so that you've got something else to think about and 
so you can really achieve that balance so you've got something else happening in your life other than your skiing yeah so um into 2018 I took the year off university because I really wanted to focus just on skiing um and I've just finished my master's in public health yay um but yeah I I've run out of things external um I was doing a bit of mentoring but I was really on the search of something that you know makes me feel valued makes me feel important outside of skiing um and I saw your um job post and I actually missed the deadline and that was one of those things where I was like you know what I'm just gonna send her a video and if she says no we've already closed and she says no I was like oh well but I got the response back and I was stoked. I was in hotel quarantine, so I was just excited to talk to someone. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's like, it's an interesting one because, you know, we're an online community um, and I've never met you in person or any of the other trainers, but yeah. we have like this cute Facebook chat and it's all females bringing yeah. people up, um, promoting each other. And it's that you've got this sense of community um, in this, like over this one common goal where we're just there to support people in their living rooms to get active to get healthy and find that balance and um find whatever makes them happy in their lives um and dare to support other people and you know I get to put these workouts on wherever I can whenever I can across the world in my time so it's the perfect job for me um and then I see the little comments come in people yeah, the, everyone's um, so in. supportive aren't they yeah everyone's so positive and I'm like I just died in that workout (laughs) Um, I don't know about you but yeah no it's it just gives me this sense of purpose and a community outside of skiing and something to focus on when the days aren't good on snow Um, I know I've still got this place and you know this value and I can you know pursue this career in the future Um, but it's just a perfect little you know, mini community, mini um, hobby on the side for me to, you know, put that time aside um, every week to connect in with all the people back home. Yeah, well, we really, really love having you on board, Maddie. Thank you. And thank you so much for sharing everything you have today. It's not always easy to um, speak about this stuff. So I am so pleased you have and I've learned a lot and I can see there is a lot of work to be done on this topic um, with mental health and elite sport. I mean, it's mental health everywhere, but obviously elite sport is, yeah, it's massive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping, I mean, you know, we don't like to be vulnerable, but if it can change one little person's life or one little clause in the elite sports world, or we get one extra staff member to help us, then, you know, perfect job done. Um, But hopefully I'm just helping people to chat and, speak about it start the conversation to lead to change yeah well it's great to chat maddie and i'm sure everyone's like i said learned a lot and also um learned things that they can apply to their own lives too so thank you so much thanks for having me thank you so much for listening to the dedicate podcast to catch all the latest from me kate you can follow me on instagram at kate ivy fitness Join our awesome fitness community of thousands of women throughout New Zealand, Australia and the world with your dedicate two-week free trial at kateivyfitness.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please support us by subscribing, sharing it with others and leaving a rating and review. That's so appreciated. Thank you. Thanks again. I'll catch you next time. Haere rā.